Hello, welcome, and thanks for listening to Crimes of the Basklands. Quick content warning, this podcast details crimes and descriptions of violence that may be disturbing or triggering. It may not be suitable for all listeners. We'll do our best to warn listeners about what to expect before each episode and to include them in our show notes. So enjoy the show. Watch your back, watch your back, and a chance is gonna get you what you back, watch your back, a chance is gonna get you what you back, watch your back, there's a chance is gonna get you what you back, it's a coming from me, just a Douglas. Hi, Julie. How you doing? I'm doing good. How you doing? Not bad. I'm recovering slightly from yesterday, but I think oh, we're... Oh, rough night, huh? It was It was a good night. It was just a little <laughs> bit extra alcohol. Yeah. Well, good. And yourself? You're still alive. I'm good. I'm good. I had a long week at work because it was my first week back after mm. a two-week holiday, and mm. it's always rough when you have to go back that to is... work. Sorry to hear you that. You start to wonder, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> You know, the usual. <laughs> right. Well, it's April in our timeline. Yes, yes. When we're recording this, it's April. So it was spring break. Yeah, you can, you can smell that. Or Easter holiday, if you will, if you're the religious types. Um, okay, so tonight, what are we drinking, Douglas? Yes. We haven't had a cedar yet, so I thought we should no, have I a cedar. I think we have. One day we had one. Did we? Okay. I think so. Sapiain is the name of the cider. It's from Gipuzkoa. Right. And I can't remember the name of this town, but Astigarraga. Yes, that's it. That, that's, that's it. Just there. right there. Yeah. There we go. It's quite a well-known one. Uh, this cider. It's like you know. Is it nice? I mean, popular. I like it. I like it. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good All cider. Right. Yeah. Since the Indo-Europeans arrived in the Basque Country, we've had cider. <laughs> So the Celtic people came in, right? The Celtiberians in like I, roughly three thousand BC, we suppose, and they brought they brought apples, and uh, since and then was, we've been drinking cider. That was the end of that. I mean, cider. They're a big part of the genetics in in the Basque Country. Okay. Mm. Shall we get into the story? Let's, okay. let's dive straight in. All right. Why not? All right. So <clears throat> I'll name all my sources here for this story. Um, Articles were from the El Correo, El País, mm-hmm. AETB, mm-hmm. AP News, The Independent, LA Times. Wow, yeah. big story. Yeah. Uh, La Moncloa, mm-hmm. Heraldo, which is the Spanish version of the Herald. Oh, right. Yeah. Never heard of that. <laughs> I didn't either. <laughs> that is hilarious. Noticias de Alava. Heraldo. Diario Vasco, De Ia. Deia. El Mundo. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, what? Deia. Deia. Deia, sorry. El Mundo and Norte Express. Mm-hmm. So those were where I got a lot of articles. I want, I listened to a podcast called Criminopatia. Mm-hmm. Criminopatia. Oh, the podcast, shout out to Criminopatia. Yeah. And another in-depth <clears throat> article by uh, Monica G. Alvarez de La Vanguardia. And I also used one of her articles when I talked about the Shaolin Monk. Okay. Yeah, so she's she's the crime writer at La Vanguardia. Mm. Um, and of course, my dear friend, Wikipedia. Of course, <laughs> good to hear. Keeping us straight. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, for this story, I also want to thank our friend and friend of the pod, Ayala. 
for bringing this story to my attention. Ooh. Ayala lives in Vitoria, so oh. she she told me about this story. I'm familiar with the local crimes. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, and another friend and friend of the pod, my ex-student and advisor in all things judicial, Gisela, she has really schooled me on so many aspects of the law here mm-hmm. and on other episodes aside from this one. And I greatly appreciate it. So thank you, Gisela. Shout out to I'm Gisela. I'm going to give her a shout out, yeah. This week, we're back in Vitoria Gasteis. And it's for a crime that didn't happen more than a century ago, like uh, Sacramentecas. Okay, right? yes. We're back in Vitoria, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it is a crime that occurred more than 20 years ago. Uh, we're in the year 1998. Okay. Okay. What were you doing in 1998, Douglas? I was eight. You were eight in 1998. Oh, 98. I thought you said 88. Oh my god! I was, I like, was 18. I was 18. I was 18. I was emigrating. First time emigrating to I Scotland. Went, well, I spent seven months in England with my aunt and cousins and uncle in their house, and then after that, after seven months, I went to England. So I'm not quite sure when I you turned went to Scotland. 19. You mean? Yes. Yeah, sorry. Did I say you it? started in England and then you went yeah. to Scotland? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that was my... So you're immigrating, okay, to Europe. Immigrating, yeah. Mm-hmm. From South America. So I was studying at an, an open university. I was doing an introduction to humanities. Uh-huh. Good memories. I also was at university in 1998. Yeah, what were your highlights? <clears throat> um, all I can remember is that I was probably just working one shitty job or another as either, like, waitressing or uh, telemarketing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was a gardener. Probably telemarketing at the time. Well, okay, let's get back to the story. All right. That's what we were doing in 1998, That was 98. Tell us what you were doing. Comment down in the podcast. (laughs) Let's let us know. What was everybody doing in 1998? Were you born? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Were you eight years old? (laughs) 18. (laughs) 28. Okay, so uh, in 1998, Vitoria Gasteis was experiencing what has been described as a crime wave. Oh, really? More specifically, there were a series of murders that were sensational in their execution and in the identities of the victims. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So for this story, I'll begin with a cold case from the time. And as you'll see, it'll lead us into the crimes of a man who many suspect as the author of this cold crime. So that's kind of a spoiler. Okay. Okay. So my one-sentence synopsis for this crime. Uh, in the late 1990s, a wave of violent crime in Vitoria Gasteis terrified the populace and dominated the media. Mm. <clears throat> Here we go. On May 8th, 1998, at 5.15 a.m., the Municipal Sanitation Service, CESPA, mm-hmm. was making its way on its usual rounds throughout the city. An employee was emptying one of the garbage containers on Burgos Street mm-hmm. when he came across some particularly heavy bags. Okay. Suspiciously heavy, apparently. Oh my gosh. So the weight of this garbage implied that perhaps someone was trying to dispose of a dead animal. Okay. Which is against sanitation regulations mm. in most places, and I would imagine in most urban places, mm-hmm. especially. Right. Mm. So they called it into their supervisor, who suggested that they continue on the route, but to hold off on opening the suspect bags until they were back at the landfill oh. in... Gardelegi. All right, so they carried on, and in the next dumpster, they came upon another suspicious find. It was a blue sports bag, which was open 
and covered in traces of what appeared to be blood. Just like on the next um, <clears throat> on the next rubbish bin. Yeah. Okay, this is already a story. Yeah. This is fun. Inside, they found a woman's bloody purse, mm-hmm. a partially filled out survey, a towel, and a plastic dustpan. A dustpan, right? Like what you'd sweep up. Right. Right. At this point, they called the Archento. Okay. Um, they appeared on the scene and escorted them back to the landfill in Garlegi to examine the contents of these suspiciously heavy bags. Okay. Mm. So, Douglas, now you should hang on to your chapella. Because yes, it's going to yes. get pretty gory, okay? Okay. Upon opening the bags, forensic agents discovered the dismembered remains of a woman. Oh my gosh, poor thing. Mm-hmm. The bloody purse from the sports bag helped them to identify the victim and establish her address. The police then moved to cordon off the rest of the truck's route. Okay. As well as the victim's home. Hmm. Okay, so Esther Arretio mm-hmm. lived at number three Jose Pablo Ulibarri Street, mm-hmm. which was just around the corner from the dumpsters where her body was so callously dis- discarded. Okay. Okay. So Esther, Esther Arretio, was a 55 year old woman living alone in a rented apartment in the Aran Biscarra neighborhood mm-hmm. of Vitoria. She'd been widowed some years before and had no children. Mm. She came from a well-established family of manufacturers, primarily like primarily of um, like they made zippers and mm-hmm. blinds. Mm, interesting. Okay. <clears throat> a lot of manufacturing in the Basque country. Yeah. And she was one of seven siblings. Okay, big family. Yeah. At the time of her death, she was working as an English teacher at the official school language school. Oh. Yeah. Close to heart. We're mm-hmm. both, I know, both English, English teachers, teachers ourselves. <laughs> I know. Okay, yeah. So Did she, she offend one of her students that mm, much? <laughs> yeah, well, you got to look into it. You've got to look mm. into it, right? So, um, at the school or her colleagues said that she was well regarded as a teacher and was considered to be a very well educated woman. Okay. Nice, yeah. According to friends and family, she was leading a normal life after overcoming a period of depression and had no known enemies to speak of. Mm-hmm. So it was very odd, right? Yes. On May 7th, so the day before, mm. Esther was speaking by phone with a relative, and according to them, nothing seemed out of the ordinary. Their call ended around 9.30 p.m., and that was the last time anyone heard from her before her body was discovered around the following morning hmm. at 5.15 a.m. When the Archainta arrived at her apartment, they found that the door had not been forced, leading them to believe that she must have allowed the killer to enter willingly. Okay. It is suspected that the survey, which was found along with the other items in the sports bag, mm. could have been mm. the means with which the culprit had gained entry into her house. Right. The apartment was exceptionally clean. Mm. Not a fingerprint could be found, and it certainly did not appear as though someone had committed such a brutal crime and a dismemberment mm-hmm. inside. Okay? Mm-hmm. They did, however, find the murder weapon atop the toilet's cistern. Oh. Right? Okay. It was a hunting knife. Okay. Sounds scary already. Mm-hmm. It seemed the murderer had had plenty of time to take such great care in, like, cleaning up the whole crime scene. Mm-hmm. There was only a few specks of blood, some hair, which was determined not to have belonged to Esther, mm. and a single male shoe print was found inside the home. A 
shoe print. Yeah. I mean, that's a hard thing to find in the South, but okay. In the South? What do you mean? No, no, no. In, in itself, it's a hard oh, thing. To, yeah. Like, what? On a carpet, there's a slight indentation? It's yeah, like, I don't know. That's a hard one to find. Yeah. Like, he's so clean. What's so clean and then left print? one shoe print. Yeah. Anyway. At the autopsy, it was revealed that Esther had been stabbed several times before she was ultimately dismembered into six pieces. Ugh. You know. Her head, trunk, and the four limbs were bagged separately, and some of her parts were wrapped in pieces of her own clothing before being placed in the bags and disposed of. Mm-hmm. Disgusting. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. And according to experts, the dismemberment was so precise that it could have only been done by a butcher or a traumatologist. Interesting. Yeah. This is a classic crime, huh? Mm-hmm. Footprints and yeah, hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was determined that some of her jewelry was missing, along with her bank cards. Wow. Which brings us to the first break in the case. Okay. Okay. On the night of her murder, there were two withdrawals from her bank account. From two ATM machines at separate Caja Vidal branches. Okay. As listeners might remember, we know Caja Vidal was, or Vital was the, um, the savings bank that was in Vitoria. That mm. then merged with the other savings banks from the other three provinces of the Basque Country. Okay. To make Cucha Bank. Okay. So there were the local... Yeah. So the first withdrawal occurred at 10.20 p.m. on Obispo Ballester Street, mm-hmm. where the suspect took 75,000 pesetas. Okay. Remember, this is the time of pesetas. Right. And the second withdrawal was at 2 a.m. So the first one was at 10.20 and the second at 2 a.m. Okay. So um, the second one that was at 2 a.m. was at a different ATM, and it was on Portal de uh, Villarreal Street. Mm-hmm. Where they withdrew ninety-two thousand pesetas. Okay. So all of this came to just over a thousand euros. Okay. Okay. Which is very cl- equivalent to about a thousand dollars. Yeah. These days. Yeah. As we record. But that's a lot, like in ninety-eight too. Yeah, it's a good that's amount a of money. Amount of money. Yeah. yeah. So um, it was decided that the murder occurred between nine thirty p.m. when Esther got off the phone with her relative. Mm-hmm. And 10.20 p.m. when the first withdrawal was made. Mm. So, he must have, like, left the apartment to make the first ATM withdrawal, right? Mm-hmm. And then returned to dismember her and clean like up right. the crime scene, get rid like of the body, mm-hmm. before making another trip to the ATM. Yeah. That's Looking like a it. a lot to do in that mm. amount of time, right? It is. Investigators speculated that the dismemberment itself would have taken at least two hours okay. to complete. So it was like very tight to yeah. do all the cleaning and that, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, personally, I find it really ballsy that first that you would kill someone, then leave, mm. and then go back to then go through all the trouble of dismembering yeah. somebody, right? Like, it's just weird. It's very weird, this I mean, crime. Everything is weird about any crime like that, but sure, that's extra weird. Right, but if it's like robbery, the most likely they'd kill somebody and then leave. Right, I see what you mean. With the bank cards or whatever There's a mixture of, of, of but motivations. But this person went back and mm-hmm. went through all this work. Yeah. I mean, he could have dismembered, then went to the second cash machine, came back a second time and then cleaned. Just trying to 
No, but if they said, time. okay, so the investigators say it would have taken it like two hours, right? Mm-hmm. So the last time anybody heard from it was 9.30. Mm-hmm. The first withdrawal was at 10.20. So that would be an hour. Less than an hour. Yeah, maybe dismembered a little bit. Dis- <laughs> 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 okay, yeah, okay. Chunking. <laughs> Come Chunking back, dismember time. a bit more. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, it's very weird that you would it's go odd. back. It's so It's just weird to me that you'd go back and do this. It, okay. So a number of odd things. <laughs> it's a lot of trouble to go through for a robbery. Yeah. You I know? agree with that. Like it's not worth a thousand euros. Jesus. No. No. Not at all. Man. So yeah, that's what's so weird about it. I mean, okay, jewelry maybe a bit more money, but we're not but talking about But they had about... all that and they could have just left, right? Yeah. And then yeah. waited for somebody to discover her body at her house, right? Yeah. When yeah. she didn't show up for work. or yeah. Why go through all that trouble of dismembering? Right? To like get rid of it house. and clean it. And... I mean, maybe he wanted to clean the house. Maybe that was a thing. <laughs> he was a tidy guy. No, like... as in, you know, <laughs> like in your head, wouldn't you think, oh, there was no crime scene now? Yeah. I mean, getting rid of evidence, yes. I can see like cleaning for fingerprints or for any other evidence that might lead you to your... To you as yeah. the vic- as yeah. the murder, that's why I'm figuring. Yeah, but then you leave the but knife. Why, like I, I don't know. It just seems like a lot of work to go through. There's a lot of a weird things. Because yeah. then why leave the knife it's very in the bathroom? Odd. Yeah, one of the only leads investigators had to go on was a very poor quality image from the surveillance camera mm. at uh, the bank where the okay. first withdrawal was made. It showed what was determined to be the profile of a young man. But whose face was obscured by like a hood or I suppose somebody wearing a hoodie. Mm-hmm. They just only described that his face was obscured by a hood. And I, mm-hmm. I don't think that their face was fully obscured mm-hmm. or whatever. Because um, they did end up po- uh, releasing a police sketch of mm-hmm. this perpetrator. And um, they were able to kind of reconstruct it with digital technology to send out to the media and everything okay. to see if anybody identified this person. Do they call it a robot sketch or something? They like call it here robot, here? yeah. That's what they call and it. And we call it um, police sketch. Just police, police sketch, sketch, yeah. In America, I should say. Not we. <laughs> but sure. In, in America, that's what they call it. Yeah, I couldn't tell you what I don't know what they call it UK. in um, So the, other, the only other piece of evidence they had to the identity of the criminal was the partially completed survey that they oh. found with the sports bag along with her purse. Very meta. Items. Very meta. Yeah. We're going to catch him because he's writing incorrectly. That would be hilarious. Well, they analyzed the handwriting. Okay. Right? And it did not belong to Esther. Good. So, well, I mean, gooder. Okay. Yeah. We're getting closer. Okay. So some, that's all they had, right? Some minimal evidence. So, you know, they did analyze the handwriting, didn't belong to Esther. So they would also, in order to like figure out whose handwriting it was, they would need a suspect okay. to match it to. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So if you don't have a suspect, you don't have anything to match it to right right okay well i was gonna say like if somebody came to my house at 9 30 at night to take a survey mm. <laughs> i mean how would you feel about that like i think that's just rude 9 30 at night yeah. that's really late it is late like even though people eat really late here for yeah. dinner you're having dinner maybe at usually that time. At, yeah and even if you're not having dinner you're chilling after dinner and yeah. It's just like the worst time to make like a cold call to somebody's house, right? Yeah, because maybe people are... Because I've gotten like telemarketer calls after 9.30 or something at night. And you're like, what the hell is wrong with you? Why are you calling me at this time, you know? Yeah. Uh, However, telemarketers are a little bit more 
logical because they might be based like in Latin America where it's still True. working time. True. Plus, I think people... And they're like maybe up to 10, you're right? Like up to 10 p.m., that'd be fine. Something like that, yeah. Uh, and and for number one, I, I would open my door, but that person would not go into the house ever. Like yeah, that I never don't even think I'd open the door. <laughs> I don't think I'd open the door. Yeah, I mean, I probably, today, I wouldn't open the door. But, like, you know, if I opened the door, they would never get in the house. Like, I no. just answer at the door, you know? Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. But but it's also possible that if you open the door, they could, you know, yeah, force take you by. Yeah. yeah. Surprise. And but that's already causing in. a commotion. My neighbors could hear. Right. I could scream. you got the hallway yeah. or whatever yeah. right yeah. there where people might hear something. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you know. So it's really odd. It is, there's a few odd things here. Mm-hmm. One very sad detail in mm. this case, aside from, you know, obviously her death and Indeed. everything and the, the disgrace. It's already very horrible. Yeah. Is that um, her family found out about her murder through the media. Yeah, That's like they heard it nice. on the news. Yeah. How careless of the police. I know. And in the years following, the family has asserted that the police have made no effort to contact them with developments. I read this in several articles. Right. That they also had to find out about any development via press releases. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then when they would call the investigators once they heard it on the news to mm-hmm. ask them about mm-hmm. it. Um, they weren't they, forthcoming. They were, well, not that they weren't forthcoming, but they, they were just like... We heard this is what you guys are, like, working on right now with our loved one's case. You didn't mm-hmm. tell us about this, you know, mm. sort of thing. They weren't very... Not nice at all. Yeah, family forward to mm. contact them and stuff no. about any developments and stuff or lack thereof. But to a fault, right? That's... Yeah, like, yeah. If, if, if it goes past... No, that's not cool. Like, if it happens once in the beginning and they're maybe looking for the suspect, more understandable, like, maybe... But then to, like, talk to the press... Yeah. Before you talk to the family to say, listen, this is what we've got. Unacceptable. And we're going to have to talk to the press about this so you might see it in the news sort of thing. You know, Not you should nice. contact the family. Of course. Right? Of course. Keep so, them in the loop. Um, the lack of leads um, wasn't the only reason that not much progress was made on this case. Something quite significant occurred in Vitoria just hours before oh. the beginning of her investigation. Oh. Yeah, so I'll tell you about that after we take a little break, okay? A little break. Let's take a break. See you guys soon. Okay, so as I was saying, they didn't make a lot of progress on her case because something else happened. Oh, you were saying yes. So at around 1.45 p.m., Uh the day, you know, on the same day that they found her body. Okay. So it was like hours after they discovered her body mm. and the onset of her murder investigation. Mm. A 61-year-old Alfonso Parada Ulloa had just left his home on Calle Juntas Generales when he was approached from behind and shot twice in the head. Mm. Unfortunately, both his son and grandson were there with him at the time and witnessed the entire event. Awful. Very sad. He was rushed to hospital, underwent surgery, and then remained in a coma before dying at around 2 a.m. the following Same. day. Next day, okay. Yeah. So, Alfonso um, was a retired civil guard officer mm. uh, from the Guardia Civil. Mm. Policeman. Mm-hmm. Who was originally from Galicia, but had been brought up in the Basque Country. So, he was brought up in San Sebastian, 
Donostia, mm-hmm. and Vitoria Gasteiz. Mm. He had followed his own father's footsteps and joined the Guardia Civil. At the time of his murder, he was a member of the active reserve and held the rank of second lieutenant. Okay. In 1986, he became a member of the Arms and Explosives Intervention Unit. And during his time there, he was involved in a shootout with members of the Basque separatist, unit, separatist group ETA. Mm. When was this? Uh, 1986. 86. Okay, long time ago. Mm-hmm. As a result of his participation in this shootout, he became a target of the group. Mm. So, in the days following of following his murder, mm-hmm. Etta announced their involvement and took responsibility for this murder. Okay, so the police are a bit flustered. So, this happened like right after they found her body, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm still, I'm like, there are two deaths. Why is but the like lady two in not... one day? It in, sure. in Victoria Castells is pretty rare. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. like that's crazy. And it's, it's not that big of a town, and to have these two big cases hit the police. Yeah, at the same time, it's a smallish town, isn't it? I think today it's about two hundred thousand. Not yeah, it's not. It's not a big city. No. Hmm. Anyway, the member of ETA who was later convicted for this crime um, wasn't caught until I think. What I could find was 2012, okay. and he was found to be hiding out in um, London mm. with several other members of, like, ETA that were hiding in okay. London at the time. You might be asking, what does this story have to do with our initial story about Esther? I was wondering if it's yeah. a two-in-one. Well, unfortunately, at the very outset of her murder investigation, when police have the best chance of gathering and following up leads... Mm-hmm. On this case, they were all called away to the scene of Alfonso's murder. Right. So you've heard of the first 48, haven't you? Or have you not? I mean, you're telling me now. And I, I know this have is... Have you like, heard this, like, saying, first 48? I mean, no. Okay. I'm not that into crime. So, <laughs> well, I have I know, heard I know, it many I times. I should start so believing more. So the first 48 hours mm-hmm. are pivotal Makes to sense. finding yeah. out and collecting evidence, right? Makes absolute sense. So according to, like, seasoned detectives... Mm-hmm. If they don't have a lead, a suspect, or an arrest within 48 hours of a crime, mm. their chances of solving that crime are cut in half. Mm. That's so pretty they, bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So poor Esther's case took a backseat to I mean, the it, attack it, on Alfonso. It's and, also... And its potential link to Etta, mm. which at the time was considered a much more pressing matter, as there had been like a series of recent attacks in in other areas of the Basque Country. Mm-hmm. preceding this one in between. Okay, so context So it had been happening a lot at the time. Mm-hmm. So in, in, it, it took, like, I mean, the, the, precedent. The, the police know this, though, the 48-hour thing. Yeah. And w- I don't understand. More... It's a whole police station, right? Yeah. Can you not assign a group of five people? Well, maybe, like, yeah, maybe there's one detective they left on her case, and then the rest went to work on this other one. I don't know. In because any, they saw it as more of a yeah, terrible, potential threat. Bad decisions to, by the police. Surprise, surprise. As I mentioned before, at this time, Vittoria Gasteis was experiencing what has been described as a crime wave. Mm-hmm. And Esther's murder was the second that had kicked off what would be a very bloody year. Oh my gosh. Right. So there was a murder that happened at the beginning of the year, like in January. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say this off the top of my head. Like it was a antiques dealer or something okay and they were found murdered in their workshop or what have you oops sorry for the little sound there 
Um, but that crime was solved okay. pretty quickly. Oh, good. And it found it was found to be like somebody that was associated with that person. Okay. So, you know, that was like the first murder of the year mm-hmm. in Vitoria. Mm-hmm. And then Esther's occurred, right? Yep. And then immediately the next and then same that, day. And then Alfonso's yep. murder happened. So yep. it was like, boom, 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 all these murders happening, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Pretty intense. Esther's murder, yeah, was the second. In June, just one month after her death, another disturbing crime was discovered. And like Esther's, it remains unsolved to what? this day. These these Gaste's policemen. <laughs> I'm I'm getting less and less. I mean, they've only got two hundred thousand people to protect. They're not doing a good job. <laughs> hey, detective work is hard. Should've, I don't know. Should have given. You got, and you have to have a lot of evidence to convict people. <sighs> to take something to to court, you need a lot to go on. I'll just say because sure, I've I mean, read a lot of crime and. That's really what it comes down to. As it just having be. enough. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. For the accused. It's an important thing. You need to have enough to go on. But still. To say this person did it, right? What are we going on? So far, we're still not even solving 50% of the cases. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's not good. This is. Uh... <sighs> okay. Anywho's. All right. I'm going to try to say his name Acasio Pereira. Pereira Presa. Thank you. Pereira is a Portuguese slash Galician surname. Okay, thank you. So it means just a pear tree. How do you say it? Pereira. He's a, he's a fellow tree surnamed person like me. I'm an oak tree and he's a pear tree. Oh. I'm Carvalho and he's Pereira. Does that mean pear? Yeah, pear tree. Pear tree. Oh. Pera, pera is, yeah, is pear. pear. Yeah. And then Pereira is the pear tree. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Cute. Well, Cute. He doesn't have a great... Ending. Not a good ending. Well, <laughs> anyway, he was a 77-year-old retired agricultural rope maker and saddler. So built saddles and ropes. Very traditional for profession. agricultural mm. purposes, right? Is this the the murder from June? This one happened in June, yeah. Okay. And she's hers happened in May. Okay. So he owned and operated a well-established business and workshop for the majority of his working life. As this rope maker and mm-hmm. saddler, right? Very interesting. Um, Sounds like the a lovely business, profession. His business was located on Francia Street in the center of town mm. and had been around since the beginning of the 20th century mm. and was very close to his home at 29 Calle La Paz. He's got it nice and organized. Yeah. I like his setup. Upon his retirement, he left the business to his nephew, Felix but continued to show up daily to sweep up the sidewalk in front of the business. What a sweet man. <laughs> and probably just stick around for the day to yeah. tell his nephew how to do things. <laughs> That's what I'm assuming. It's... I'm assuming he showed up every day just to be like, oh, you should do this this way, that way, right? I mean... No, like... Why not? I, I mean, mean, it's I, I hard just... to let old habits die, right? Like, it is. You can't... If you, if you were doing that for the majority of your life and then you left the business to somebody... But and it's you're also, still alive and you're like, okay, let, let me tell you how to do yeah, this, you know. It's very possible. I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll give you a high And I mean no shade to him, right? No, no. This is... It's just, it seems more like a selfless, kind thing to just go sweep the streets. So yeah. I'm like, maybe he wasn't that he's much of a He's just like, he's trying to still look out for the business after his retirement, well, right? Yeah, I can see what you mean. He's sweeping up the sidewalk. He wants to make it, like, welcoming and, you know. Yeah, yeah. 
At this point, Felix had been running things for about four years. Okay. And he'd grown accustomed to his uncle showing up at noon every day. Right. Okay. But on this day, he didn't appear. Okay. This was completely out of character for mm-hmm. Acasio. Mm-hmm. And Felix was immediately worried for his well-being. It seems that Acasio had recently underwent surgery for liver cancer. Oh. And Felix worried that he, as he lived alone, he might be suffering from complications mm-hmm. and was unable to notify anyone that he needed help. Mm. Like maybe he was at home really struggling or something. What a nice guy. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a tight family, right? Yeah. So Felix asked his sister, mm. Acasio's niece, Ana Rosa, to go and check on their uncle as he was busy working at the shop, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So she went to his house around 2 p.m., uh, accompanied with by her boyfriend, Manuel, mm-hmm. where they encountered a very gruesome scene. Mm. The apartment was in total disarray, and lying on the floor amidst it all was in a, and in a pool of blood was mm. a custom. Oh, my gosh. He was bound to a chair. Oh, my gosh. And had a rag in his mouth with a total of 15 stab wounds to his oh, body. How horrible. Yeah. The scene baffled police and family. Like, yeah. why would this happen to this guy? Right? Yeah, he's a lovely guy who's worked in a yeah traditional An kind old of... guy, too. Like, you know, like he was, yeah. how old did I say he was? 77. Mm. You know? Yeah. Not a strong person, probably. Right. Just, yeah. an elderly man. So, like oh, yeah. Esther, Acasio was described by friends and family as a timid and generous man who had no known enemies... Mm. And robbery seemed an unlikely motive as he lived on a meager pension and had no savings to speak of. Mm-hmm. The disorder of his apartment was surmised to either mean that a ransacking took place mm-hmm. by the perpetrator of this crime, searching for money or other valuables, mm-hmm. but nothing was found to have been stolen. Mm. Or it implied that Acasio had put up a hell of a fight. Mm. Oh man, how horrible. I know. I'm scared of visiting Gus Days now. <laughs> it's a beautiful little town. You should, I know. I've got to find some more stories that don't take place in Vitoria. I'm sure if we don't retire there, we'll be fine. I mean, the Basque Country is pretty small, is, so our, yeah. my, our crime stories are pretty limited. So, Douglas, I mean, there might be more. So, um, when police interviewed his neighbors, none reported that they'd heard anything. Yeah, that's odd. Yeah, right? During the night and the early hours of the morning, right? Yeah, I imagine he'd be living in one of these older apartments. It was like a flat, yeah. That have very thin, much thinner walls than we are accustomed to today. Right, yeah, exactly. Very odd. So, yeah, it was determined that he had died around dawn that day. So, in either case, yeah, you would think that the neighbors heard something, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, because that's a very silent You don't, like, ransack a place quietly or have a big fight with somebody quietly, right? Yeah. Um, So, in one article, I did see that his apartment was on the first floor. And so, as we've said in previous episodes, the ground floor of these apartment buildings are often used for, like, uh, business. Yeah. Yeah. Businesses and other purposes, right? So there would be maybe nobody... right? We've talked about Lonkaz. Yeah, nobody downstairs. Right. So, you know, if somebody had been living below him, that's when you'd probably think it's more likely to hear something, right? Yeah. So, and we can attest to that, right? And and I think it was in Casco Viejo of Vitoria In the old town. So Mm -hmm. these are like wooden buildings, so Mm -hmm. the walls are very thin, right? Yeah, that's what I was imagining, yeah. Yeah. I guess that's part of why I'm surprised there was nobody Nothing was hurt, right? Mm Mm-hmm. When police 
were establishing Acasio's final moments, they found that at 8.30 p.m. on the evening before his death, he was chatting with a local shopkeeper, and then he went to a nearby bar to have a drink and something to eat. Nice. And I saw somewhere that it was a pincho de tortilla. Very nice. <laughs> or a tortilla. A classic, pincho. very solid meal, yeah, right? good one. It's potato, egg, solid. Mm-hmm. Sometimes with meal. onion, sometimes with cheese, but yeah. usually just... A little just, bit of uh, veg, a little bit of protein, some yeah. starch. A good carbs. meal for the evening. Mm-hmm. Something easy. Um, yep. So then he headed home at about 10.30. His door did not seem to have been forcibly opened, so they speculated that perhaps someone had come in behind him when he entered his house. Oh. They were just like waiting. Right. And then when they saw him go in, they just came in behind him. At the crime scene, there were no fingerprints, no oh. footprints, or any other evidence that could give them a lead on a suspect. Okay. So. It's great policing so in Gus days again. It seems the police investigation focused primarily on the friends and family of the victim. I mean, he's to the point To the point that some family members ended up reporting or denouncing the police for harassment. Excellent. Yeah. I'm getting angry at these policemen already. Yeah. Jesus. So, much like Esther's murder, his murder is unsolved to this day. What? Yep. Are you going to leave us hanging for all those murders today, Jules? Nope. It's unlike you. <laughs> There's unlike more. You. Don't okay. worry, Douglas. It gets worse. <laughs> are, we, are we not going to recommend our listeners worse. visit Gustain's after this episode? Hey, it's a lovely town, and this you is sure? unusual. This is a crime wave that happened in 1998, okay. and oh. I, I don't think there's been anything like it since. The so. 98 year. Okay, yeah. okay. Later that same summer, mm-hmm. on August 13th, on Los Eran Street of Vitoria, 72-year-old slot machine businessman Agustin Ruiz was discovered murdered in a lonja, which we've said Business. is one of these commercial spaces that mm-hmm. are located on the street level yep. at the apartment blocks. Good description. This lonja was a warehouse of sorts for his enterprise. Mm-hmm. It functioned as a space to store, sell, repair, and distribute the slot machines that he made up his business. Interesting. Okay. He was discovered around noon by one of his relatives. According to several neighbors, Reese would come by the business every Thursday. Police at the time surmised that one might have known his habits and assumed that he had a safe or something at the mm. Loja where he would deposit like the proceeds collected from the various slot machines that he owned and operated in bars and other establishments in town. And uh, that somebody came to attack him in order to rob him. I mean, like that's knowing that an he idea. was a slot machine. Yeah, I mean, and that he may collect a bunch of cash, right? Sounds from like these a machines. very simple <laughs> one plus one, right? Because it would be a bunch of coins, right? Yeah, it's right. Like not even like worth murdering. Not at over, all. Right? Not at all. Not even. No. Right? The whole thing is, sounds already already like their explanation for the murder is terrible. Come on. <laughs> I mean, it's possible. Some people are that desperate. You're going to have to find some, some solved murder cases. But that would be days. a desperate person that also, like... <laughs> Not even that know, desperate. Like, desperate and then thought, okay, I'm going to get some coins. That's like really some, stupid. It's a bit like, stupid. Like, in pesetas, right? This is, we're talking pesetas yeah, at ridiculous. the time. So, like so they would be have to be like, be like, okay, this guy has slot machines. He collects all this pesetas. Yeah, I need 100,000 coins. <laughs> and I'm going to go rob him of these minor 
like a bunch no, of coins, no, right? No, nothing makes sense here. Yeah, it would mean that they'd have to like study him and and decide. Okay, now I'm going to rob him now or something. You know, like study his habits and yeah, for some coins. But it's not even a. It's not. Yeah. No. However, I think when I, interviewed, people in mm. the industry thought if robbery were the motive. Mm. August would have been the worst month to plan such a robbery. <laughs> I mean... As the take is much lower than in other months. Okay. Okay? Because, as we know... Oh, yeah, it's true. August yeah. is, like, quite dead. Mm-hmm. So unless you live in, like, really hot, like, tourist-dense places in the peninsula mm-hmm. in the of south, Spain... Yeah, yeah, mostly, yeah, south. Yeah, that's where there might Spain. be some money flowing, but, like, in the Basque Country, there was, in August in 1998, there was not... No, yeah. No action, right? Everybody leaves town, goes to exactly. their villages. To their villages, <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. And, and they take the month off, they go on holiday, or yeah. they go to the village. Even some bars close, because there's not enough business around, you know? So, yeah, yeah makes sense. And, like, today, of course, Bilbao is much more of a tourist destination. We're and starting to get people in summer, but... Yeah. It's so, still... August is not dead anymore, if no, you will. But I remember be, yeah. when I first yeah, moved yeah, here yeah. that people were like, oh, no, August is dead. Yeah. Nothing happens here in August. It's just dead. In the last 10 years, it's more of a... It's just quieter, but there's still people around. And there's things happening. Yeah, they, like, yeah. put things on now, yeah, for yeah. there be to be something happening, yeah, right? Yeah. For tourists, right? Cute little festivals, pincho festivals. Yeah, exactly. Lo- local foods. We're good at that now. Yeah. It's fine. So, and, and, and maybe we should explain what the idea of the going to the villages means. <laughs> what do we mean by that? <clears throat> yeah. So, I would describe it as... The Basque Country, like a lot of places, has industrialized not that long ago. Mm-hmm. And this process of industrialization, what it implies is a lot of people move to cities to produce things. A lot of manufacturing. The Basque Country is really big on you know, manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything. So it was one of the first areas to industrialize in the peninsula. And so because of that, people moved here from all over the country on the peninsula right for and work for work only for work yeah yeah and so they're mostly people that came from a village and then came to a city to work mm-hmm. and then they built their lives in cities in factory cities and then their children of course get to meet, meet grandma and granddad so they go to village for summer to you know see the cousins like their ancestral village yeah. or like this village where they grew up the parents grew up, yeah. Right, and then yeah. there'd be like a, an apartment or a house there yeah. that they could all... Or stay. they'll stay with their grandparents. You yeah. Know? That's a kind of... And then that became when the grandparents passed away, usually that would be your summer home. Yeah. It's like a cheaper holiday. You don't, you know... It... And people establish like friendships and everything in these villages. Of course. Over, yeah. Like because they go every year. Yeah. Every August they're there. Yeah. So they have like... we. I think we talked about quadrillas, did we not? We did, yeah. So like you have... Like I have, I have students that when they go to their village every mm-hmm. summer and they have their set quadria yeah. in that village. Yeah, that's only their quadria in that village for summer for one month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basque people like to be organized. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so in the context of the Basque country, it's 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 very common that people come from other parts of the country. Mm-hmm. And so lots of people go back to Galicia, to Spain, to... Burgos, yeah. La Rioja. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
those kinds or of... in other parts of the Basque country even you know yeah little or villages Cantabria or whatever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so anyway yeah it was like the worst time if you were planning a robbery of this man who was a slot machine like owner owner and you know had a bunch of machines and yeah. collect the revenue or whatever from these machines yeah, it was the not... worst time to rob him would be in August right? yeah and when you started explaining I was like oh he must have been into some industry to know this. And I'm like, no, everybody knows there's no business in August. Everybody right, knows. Right, yeah. <laughs> everybody knows. <laughs> like, you really don't need to do a lot of research. Everybody know. knows, right. Mm. So, although Augustine himself was retired at the time of his assault, um, he had left the family business that bore his name, and it was called Empresa Antigua Agustin Ruiz Perez. So, mm. Empresa Antigua just means old business. Yeah, I know. It's quite odd. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cute way to say that it. That was the name of his business. <laughs> Why not? So he had left the the business under the direction of one of his sons. Okay. Mm. Despite having been retired, he was still very hands-on in running the business. Another he, one of them. Mm-hmm. Like, they can't let it go, these old men. He was... Um, this was evident in his continuing to personally collect the proceeds from various slot machines that right. the company owned. Okay. So in one article, it stated that he'd also been able to acquire several bars. Like okay. he... He, I think he owned bars where he would place, like, the slot for the purpose of having a slot machine in the bar. Makes sense. Basically, it was the slot machine that was the business, not the bar itself, wow. right? It's, it's basically a mini casino, right? Yeah. That's an entrepreneurial businessman. Yeah. I mean, it seems like people who knew him might assume he's doing well. Yeah. Right? He's got various bars. Yeah, got... I mean, I'm, pr- I'm sure he's doing fine. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. So, according to those who knew him in the sector, he was an honest and reserved man who ran a tight ship and whose revenue wasn't ex- excessively large. Mm-hmm. So, those in the business they knew, knew that, that he wasn't right? making yeah. a shit ton of money, right? Yeah. Um, so, the idea that someone would rob him at his warehouse premises, which was one of the few in the sector with like an exposure to the public. So, I guess because it was in this lonja where he had all these machine store that you repair and mm-hmm. then sell out of sounds like it's in town yeah mm-hmm. so and people knew it was there right. right right so he was one of the few that had one of these places right i, I suppose but you... nobody ever actually went there to play the machines no no right? yes i didn't get it so it would be a very odd choice considering they wouldn't necessarily find much to steal um, at his autopsy, it was discovered that Augustine had been stabbed to death with a screwdriver or uh, something like a screwdriver, uh, a weapon of convenience. Sure. Right. Uh, As in something that had been nearby and available. Yeah. In the that warehouse. sounds like him. But, oh my gosh. I know. I know. I always have to remember to give you a minute to. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean. I'm like, I've, I've been living with this yeah, story for so right, long you know that it. I'm like, you know, a screwdriver. <laughs> Okay. So I'm sorry, Douglas. I mean, I'm very visual. I can I'll see the screwdriver. Let that sink in. It's a horrible weapon. <laughs> I forget. No pun intended, I forget, Julie. But I'm very numb to these things. <laughs> it's sunk in, Julie. It's sunk okay, in. Okay. Okay. Go for it. So um, <laughs> the investigators believe that the murder was unplanned. I mean, because the screwdriver that, right? says so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Unlike the hunting knife. It wasn't like a gun or a knife. Yeah. Or, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, it would be some time before the author of this crime would be discovered. Okay. But not before yet another murder took oh, place. The, the 1998 year. Very bloody, I told you. Yeah. 
Okay, should we take a break? Let's do that. Just let it sink in. <laughs> See you guys soon. Okay. And we're back. Okay. Hello, <laughs> Douglas. We're back to some more bloody murder. Gaste's the the criminal capital of the Basque country. Murdery, murdery. <laughs> It is. It is the capital of the country. It is. It is the capital. And in 1998, it was clearly the off murder the capital. <laughs> <laughs> when we left off, Agustin Ruiz was killed, and that was in August, right? The slot machine owner. Yep. Yeah. So nine months later. So now we're in 1999. Okay. Okay. We're in a new year. About to be the millennium. <laughs> Almost. So it was nine months after the death of Agustin Ruiz Mm -hmm. and a year out from the death of our first victim, Esther, that on May 24th, 1999, yet another death occurred in Vitoria. Begonia Rubio Rubio, that's her name. Yeah, yeah. Two surnames that are the same. A 28-year-old lawyer was discovered to have been murdered in her office on Calle Siervas, De Jesus mm-hmm. in the center of Vitoria. Okay. So, <clears throat> after having worked in a well-known local law firm, Begonia started her own law practice less than a year prior to her death. Poor thing. I know, she was really young, 28. Mm. Um, according to the dean of lawyers at the time, she didn't specialize in any specific area of law. Um, she handled cases involving labor issues and served as a court-appointed lawyer for a time. Mm. She also represented the Clara Campo Amor Women's Association. Mm. Don't know them myself. With whom she collaborated on matters relating to family violence and mm. the rights of women and children. According to those close to her, close to her, she'd been working on several rape cases at the time, and was becoming more and more uncomfortable with these types of cases as they were very difficult and becoming overwhelming. Yeah, poor thing. Yeah, so you can imagine. Rape cases are hard to prove. Very hard to prove. Right. So um, her father would regularly come to pick her up from work and escort her home. She still resided with her parents. Okay. So he would regularly come and, like, pick her up. At the time of her death, it was speculated that she might have feared for her safety due mm-hmm. to the nature of her work. Mm. And perhaps that was why her father would come to fetch her when she was finished for the day. Right. Mm. Though it does remain unknown whether or not she did, in fact, receive any specific threats to her safety. Okay. Um, pertaining to any work that she was doing. Okay? Sure, sure. Unfortunately, on this day, it was her poor father who discovered her body. So bad. Imagine Mm-hmm. Don't even imagine that. I know. Too much. At around midnight, he grew concerned that she hadn't arrived home and he hadn't heard from her, so he decided to go to her office to check on her. Hmm. So, I mean, it sounds like they had some sort of maybe system where he would call her and find out if she wanted him to come mm. pick her up or mm. what have you. Um, so it she wasn't every call. day that he right. took her home, right? Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. When he arrived at her office, what he found was horrific. She was sprawled on her office floor, having been stabbed several times in various parts of her body. At autopsy, it was determined that the injury that had caused her death was a deep slash to her throat. When the Archainza arrived at around 1 Mm a.m., they started their investigation and worked throughout the night. Hmm. 
They interviewed several people in the vicinity, and according to one bartender who worked in the area, they were inquiring specifically about a young man with dark hair and glasses and short in stature. Okay. They searched. Uh, they searched in city planters, like plants, yeah, where they're plants, city, yeah. and garbage containers for the murder weapon, but mm. to no avail. Mm. It was speculated that the crime occurred around 8 p.m. when she would normally be leaving the office. Mm. Her boyfriend and soon-to-be husband—they were supposed to get married in June. Oh, so a month out. Wow, that's traumatic. Yeah. He told investigators that he had made a call to her office around 7.45 p.m. and received no response. At the scene, the police discovered the tip of one of the fingers of a latex glove embedded in an injury on the victim. Wow. Which had been torn or cut off. Wow. And it contained the blood of someone other than the victim. Wow. Two fingerprints were lifted from her desk. There was some blood collected uh, from the wristband of her watch. Mm. A toothpick containing saliva was found at the scene. And a single bloody footprint was found. Okay. Well, police are doing some work this Mm -hmm. time, finally. (laughs) Sorry, but I was not impressed by the other It sounds like nobody cleaned up. This time, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. But they're all stabbings. They left. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. There was one more piece of evidence found at the scene that would lead to the capture of her murderer and lead the police and investigators to believe that they had found the person responsible for her death and perhaps all of these crimes. Yeah, they're all stabbings. And he he has the glove, which means he's very clean. Mm -hmm. So we're profiling this guy already. Mm -hmm. The name of her killer was written in her work calendar or her daily planner. Oh, and it was a man who had had an appointment with her on the day of her murder. Mm. So before we get into the life and crimes of this serial killer, yeah, would you like to take a gander at his name? <laughs> so you used to give me what was it? You used to give me the surname, but not the name, and then and I haven't given you any nothing. names, nothing. So you want to just take some stabs at a stab? <laughs> <laughs> Julie. I know that's anyway. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> it's bloody, Julie. It's yeah. bloody. Yeah. Take Let, a stab at his name. Let's say let's say Inigo, why not? A very common name in the Basque country. No. I'm gonna give you three. I always give you three. Try. Oh do you? Okay. Yeah. I forgot about that. It's been so long <laughs> I haven't guessed. Do you wanna think of um give so, him a hint. so listen, One it's nineteen ninety nine, right? Right. So an older um, the names. man was born in the 60s. So it was under Franco. So right. his name... Jose. His original name mm-hmm. is different from what he went by. It's not Jose? No, it's not Jose. Okay. But try again. Juan. Yes! Oh, got it! So his name was Juan, mm. but he went by Coldo. Okay, yeah. yeah. Coldo, which is Basque. Yeah, Right? And I don't know if it's the version of one, but yeah, people do that. Written into the daily planner found in Begonia's office was the name Coldo Laranyaga. When the police followed up on this lead, they found that he was living in Madrid. Hmm. And with the assistance of the national police, they orchestrated an interview with their main suspect and a search of his house was carried out, hmm. leading to his subsequent arrest. Oh. Yeah. So Juan Luis... You got the name right, Juan. Mm-hmm. Juan Luis, better known as Coldo, mm-hmm. 
Laranyaga, mm-hmm. was arrested on May 29, 1999, in Madrid, just five days after the murder of Begonia Rubio. Okay. Getting somewhere. Mm-hmm. When Coldo was being questioned by the police, they spotted a deep cut on his hand that matched the location, or was on his finger, actually, mm. that matched the location of the torn or cut latex glove fingertip yep. that had been discovered at the crime scene. In the scene. wound, yeah. Yep. At his flat in Madrid, not only did police find various hunting knives and latex mm. gloves, but clothing with traces of blood on them, mm. a discarded pair of shoes whose sole pattern matched the bloody footprint at the scene. That sounds and like And also had blood spatter on them. DNA results confirmed the blood of the victim was that to be, was what was found on the clothes and the shoes. Oh. And the blood from the fingertip of the glove or at the scene yeah, was his. matched his. Okay, well. Okay. There's nothing else to be proven now right? here they got for it. this crime anyway. Right? Mm-hmm. Additionally, his fingerprints matched those on the desk. And another set of fingerprints matching our killer was found on a magazine in the waiting area at Begonia's office. I mean, it's all... Adding it's, up. It's, it's all, all adding, adding up. up. If this guy doesn't go to prison, I'm going to be very worried. <laughs> also found at his home was a receipt from this pension, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. The pension is called Ocean Pension. And when they went to inquire there, they found that he had had a suitcase stored there. So he has this store- suitcase there. Uh-huh. And it contained a missing set of keys belonging to Augustine Ruiz, our oh, third victim oh. in this series. Along with those keys, they found notes about Ruiz and his children. Ouch. Yeah. So with all this damning evidence mm-hmm. against him, mm-hmm. Coldo confessed to the murders oh. of Begonia and Augustine. Okay. So let's talk about Coldo. So Juan Luis... Uh, Laranyaga was born in 1961 in Escoitia, Kipuzwa. He grew up in a middle-class family of two brothers uh, and a deeply religious mother. Mm. There was never any mention of his father okay. in this whole thing. Okay? Well, so I don't know anything about his father. That's why we keep calling this society slightly matriarchal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Childhood acquaintances described him as very reserved, with not many friends to speak of, and that he could always be seen accompanying his mother to church. At 17, he moved to Vitoria Gasteis to study for a degree in education. Mm. He never did graduate with a degree. He okay. didn't finish it. Okay. So, despite having a very an above-average IQ of mm. 138. Okay. However, he did end up teaching Basque, Usquera, mm-hmm. at the IKA Academy in Vitoria. He was teaching Usquera at this academy, um, but because of his lack of discipline and lack of dedication to the craft he just he failed and sought out a variety of other work okay okay Mm. so he went into work like security guard or salesman right yeah terrible jobs yeah he was doing um, good as a teacher. She, she, she should have stuck Not really. With no, he wasn't doing good as a teacher. As in... It turns out that he was not a good teacher no. because he didn't have the discipline or the, like the the dedication to it to, to, to do well. Yeah, well, right? he, he can't follow a timetable. He can't follow the law either, clearly. Yeah, true. <laughs> Sorry to say. And you'll hear what people think of him. Okay. The, so in the outset of the 90s, he began to dabble as an entrepreneur and a businessman. Okay. His many failed businesses... <laughs> Included importing beer, buying and selling vehicles, buying Rottweilers, 
gambling in illegal dog fighting rings. This is Gross. getting getting right? yeah, horribler and horribler. And in one account, he had apparently set up a force harm. Or, sorry, force harm. What is this? <laughs> I don't even know what it is. A horse farm. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to cut that out if you don't. No, it's, it's, it's cute. It's a horse farm. Wow. I mean, a force harm, you know. It's <laughs> definitely harming a lot a of people. A horse farm. Forcefully. So farming horses, which is probably like... He was probably a dick about that, too. Yeah, pretty horses. And he was also rumored to have been involved in illegal sex trafficking. So. Wow, intense. But that has not, that wasn't established. Mm, okay, so right. in any of my research. It was just mentioned in one right. part of the research. So he was no good at business, and uh, he incurred a lot of debt along the way. And he garnered himself a reputation as a swindler in the hospitality sector, where he was said to have worked as the beer importer. Right, right. right. Among those acquainted with him in this line of work referred to him as a crook and a hustler. Wow. He also got into trouble with the law for fraud for some of his shady business dealings, which was confirmed through Archancha Records. Also around the time that he started dabbling in business, he married his longtime girlfriend, Dorletta, oh. and they had a son. In the aftermath of his arrest, many of his colleagues and neighbors would describe him as a very dedicated father who was, quote, kind and good-natured, unquote. Hmm. One acquaintance said of him, quote, look at the most harmless person in your office. That could be him. Hmm. He's not my favorite saint. Hmm. He's not honest either. He likes to live, to be able to be without working, mm. but a murderer, mm. end quote. Mm. He was further described as an educated man and physically as very tall and strong. Mm. A childhood friend described him to the press like this, quote, he was irresponsible with work, but he made himself loved like nobody else. Mm. When it came to his brothers, his nephews, and everyone he knew, he was very pleasant you could go a year without seeing him, and if he saw you on the street, he would greet you and take an interest in you. End quote. Just shows you can never know. Yep. All of his neighbors and acquaintances interviewed said the same of Col- uh, same of him, right? Mm-hmm. Quote, Coldo was a kind person with an intelligent look and a cold expression. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Which I found really funny. Yeah. As well as an exemplary father. Concerned about his son, whom he accompanied everywhere, to class, courses, or extracurricular activities. Mm. He always came, declared one of his son's teachers. Mm. Others characterized him as polite and kind, but that he always kept his distance, never allowing others to get close to him. Mm. He was additionally described as hyperactive and lazy. Just doing useless shit every time, all the time, yeah. I suppose. Which many surmised to have attributed to his lack of motivation to a more prestigious career, right? Mm. I mean, that's in itself is not terrible, but then to go and then... Well, he obviously went too far. There's a lot of steps <laughs> from there to murder, you know what I mean? Right, it's exactly. Still... Exactly. So he wanted oh. easy money, but he didn't want to work for it. Um, one forensic psychologist featured in a video I watched did note that in all of his experience, he's never interviewed someone, as in like a family member or a close friend of Mm. somebody Mm. accused of these kinds of crimes, who turned out to be um, a killer, you Mm. know, Mm. that none of them have ever described them as a psychopath. (laughs) So 
So he's basically saying, like, you've never interviewed friends and family after the fact. And said, and they said, no, he was a great guy. He was really nice. I can't believe this that is was what the he's first being accused time. from. Yeah. Right? Like, he's saying, no, he's saying that nobody ever describes them as psychopaths. Okay. Right. right? Okay. Okay. Like, they never mm-hmm. end up mm-hmm. interviewing somebody that was close to a person who's convicted or or accused of these types of things. Hmm. And people and they kind go, of were suspect. Well, he was a psychopath. Right? Mm, he's clearly right. he did this, right? Interesting. Okay. So that's what the psychologist said. So they always lead like some sort of double life. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. Fair enough. I mean, it's from the crime movies I watched that sounds yeah. believable. Um, by the end of the 1990s, all of his scams and misdeeds had accumulated him a mountain of debts, causing him problems in his marriage, which was further strained by an affair he was carrying on. He ended up leaving his wife and son and moving to Madrid with his girlfriend. Oh my gosh. However, he did return to Vitoria for visits with his son. And it seems to commit some pretty brutal crimes. Oh my gosh, (laughs) I know. Like, even just mixing these two things is... uh, I know. So, before we go into, like, his confessions and the trial, can we take a break? Let's do that. Let's take a break. See you soon. Okay, here we are. We're back. We're back. At his trial, his wife was the first to defend Coldo in her testimony. She was shocked by the accusations. And she should, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you would, as the wife. Would you? <laughs> Ex-wife? Yeah, I guess so. Ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> the mother he went, of he his went son. He went to hell after he left me. Mother of his anyway. son. Anyway. Hmm. Um, so she said of Coldo, he was someone who never raised his voice, and he was a very loving father to their son. So in his own testimony, Coldo recounted what had happened the day he killed Begonia. Okay. All right. So you ready for this? So this is the teacher, the 55-year-old. No, this is the lawyer. Oh, right. Sorry. The 28. The 28-year-old lawyer. On May 24th, at around 7 a.m., he took a bus from Madrid to Vitoria to find a defense lawyer to represent him in a pending fraud case. <laughs> so he had a fraud case pending, right. and he needed a lawyer in Vitoria. In his suitcase, he carried with him items you would typically find when spending a few days out of town. Okay. Some clothes, a toiletry case, latex gloves, and of course, a hunting knife. Mm. So it appears he wasn't seeking out the services of any one lawyer in particular. He had spent his morning in Vitoria uh, randomly meeting up with several lawyers to discuss his case. Okay? (laughs) So he was just going from, like, law office to law office trying to find somebody. The lawyers that he had met up with prior to visiting the offices of Begonia, Mm. Rubio, Mm -hmm. found it strange that he didn't seem to know any of the details associated with this case. So Mm. he was going around saying, I need somebody to represent me. Mm. But he didn't have a lot of details Mm. to his case. Sounds like he's looking for somebody to kill. Right? Yeah. At around 4.30 in the afternoon, he arrived at Begonia's office and was made to wait before speaking with her um, because she had somebody else in her office with her. So Mm. she had a prior appointment or something. Mm -hmm. This is when he sat reading a magazine Mm. in the waiting area. Left his fingerprints. And that's where his fingerprints were later found. Right? Mm-hmm. 
So he met with Begonia, who briefed him on her fees for representing him and invited him to return later that day when they could lay out the details of his case. Mm. This was when Begonia caught her would-be murderer by scribbling her name, or his name, sorry, yeah, yeah. into her day planner Yeah, yeah, yeah. on his departure, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It didn't save her, but yeah. it may have saved others. So later that day, Koldo returned to her office at the Crete upon time, and the rest of what happened is according to his own confession mm. and his testimony in court. Okay, hold on to your chapellas. That's right, Douglas. Hold on to your chapella because it gets pretty grim. Okay? okay. According to him, when Begonia had her back to him, he grabbed her by the neck. He stated, quote, I don't know why I attacked her, mm. but when she started to scream, I got nervous. With my left hand, I covered her mouth, and with my right, I took out the knife that I had in my pocket. <laughs> And I plunged it into her chest with the intention of killing her. Wow. We both fell to the floor on our sides, and I kept stabbing her. Ugh. I don't remember where or how many times I stabbed her. After her death, I opened her blouse, and I unhooked her bra and lowered her pantyhose. My gosh. End quote. So, I didn't mention this earlier, but it appears as though he was trying to make the murder appear to be, like, sexually motivated. Okay. However, he insisted that he did not sexually assault her, mm-hmm. and that um, and the autopsy also found there was no evidence mm. of sexual assault. But some experts have opined that he was in fact sexually motivated because mm-hmm. he stabbed her after removing her clothes, and after she was already dead, which mm. some speculate to be like a simulation of a sex act. So, in his own testimony, oh, he was very emphatic. He said, I did not sexually assault or abuse her or have any intention of doing so, and I did not lie on top of her after she was dead. So, once she was dead, he searched her office and stole 4,500 pesetas, which is 27 euros from her purse before fleeing the scene. I know. Yeah. He went on to recount that he went to a bar of a friend near her office where he had left his travel bag. He had rolled up his pants and his shirt in order not to draw attention to the blood stains on his clothes. Oh my gosh. At the bar, he changed his clothes, had a beer, and asked the bartender for some money so he could make (laughs) some phone calls. Um, So one of the calls was to his wife asking about his son. Mm -hmm. And the second one was to the son of none other than our third victim, Agustin Ruiz. Not to him, but to his son. Right. Right. Like He called him, uh-huh. and apparently this call to him was to inquire about renting a lonja from him. What the fuck? This guy's right? twisted, eh? I know. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, he threw the gloves away in a trash container near the bar and spent the rest of the evening going around town trying to get some more money. So I don't know if he like owed people owed him money or if he was just asking people to loan him money. Mm-hmm. Sounds like he it. He was just going around like, can anybody give me money, right? Everybody's been calling him a scammer, right? Yeah. In the business world. Right. Mm. So 
Um, so then he hightailed it out of Vitoria on a bus to Madrid, but not before disposing of the murder weapon in a trash container mm. near the bus station located in the area Cuatro Caminos. When he arrived home to Madrid, he told his partner that he had gotten into a bar fight to explain the blood on his clothes. Wow. And then he threw them into the wash. Into the wash. Jesus. Right? Yeah, not even out. Like, yeah, yeah, I got in a bar fight, and so I have some blood. A lot of blood for, whatever, I don't know. Right. Yeah, I mean, like any... But, I mean, he ended up leaving her office not that covered in blood, apparently, because he would have stood out, right? Leaving the office. But you also said he rolled up his sleeves and his trousers, which sounds So maybe it was only, like, one hand or something? It seems like it was only one hand that was covered, or his... Look, I can see a guy walking around town with his sleeves rolled up. But the moment I see a guy around town with his trousers trousers rolled up, (laughs) you're like all the alarm bells are (laughs) up. I mean, I walk around with them rolled up sometimes, but it's like it's a look, you know. It's not. It's not a. I'm sure his pants wouldn't be rolly upper pants. No, they're probably like slacks or something. I don't know. Formal trousers, probably. So. Caldo also confessed to the murder of Agustin Ruiz mm-hmm. that it occurred in August of 1998. Okay. Not only was he found to have had the set of keys belonging to the victim, mm-hmm. but the evidence that really sealed his fate um, was footage of him coming from the crime scene and leaving the crime scene on the okay. security cameras right. outside of Augustine's business. Okay. Caldo was living in Madrid at the time but had come to Victoria for an appointment he had with Augustine. He was captured on camera at 9.45 a.m., entering the Lonja. Mm-hmm. It was evidence in court by Coldo himself that he had had an outstanding debt with Ruiz, mm. and so it was speculated that Augustine expected to collect this, deba- this debt yeah. at this meeting, but that Caldo had gone with the intention of asking to borrow more money. An argument ensued, and Caldo grabbed the only weapon within reach, a screwdriver. In his testimony, he claimed, quote, At that moment, I saw a screwdriver on top of a machine, and as he had me by the neck, I took it and began to stab him several times from the waist up until he was lying on the ground. <sighs> and the autopsy reported that it was 45 stab wounds. My gosh. So he he's trying to say... That Augustine had him by the neck. Mm-hmm. And this is like a 72-year-old man. Right. Who, yeah, I don't know. I and, mean, he's and much Coldo stronger. And was like 38. Yeah, this guy, good, good point to point out. I mean, if you're... Right, like, yeah. if an old guy got him by the neck. Yeah, he's not going to And And Coldo strong. has reportedly been described as like tall and strong guy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So. So I don't know if he was trying to make himself sound like I oh, was in self-defense, you know, like sort of thing. So yeah, it's, it, well, that's where he's going with that right. argument. But So he went on to testify that after killing the businessmen, he pulled his body further inside the premises, fearing that anyone could enter at any time. He ransacked the entire office area searching for money. What he didn't know at the time is that he didn't search hard enough mm. because... Augustine did, in fact, have a great deal of money hidden at the premises. Mm. He had 1.5 million pesetas okay. hidden there yeah, or yeah. In, at the place where he, this lonja, um, like which I euros. calculated. Yeah, 9,000 mm-hmm. euros. Yeah. 
Which is a lot of money. He did steal the poor man's Rolex watch, mm. his wallet, which contained 20,000 pesetas, mm. 120 euros. There we go. And that set of keys. Remember that set of keys that was found in the suitcase? Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. The ones, you know, that were later discovered in that suitcase. In the yeah, why would you take keys? He's well, out, he's I'll tell you why. Again. I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, at 11.45 a.m., he was captured for the second time on camera, leaving mm. the premises. Okay. Um, and this time when he was leaving, he had his coat draped over his arm. Okay. Covering up the blood on his sleeve. My gosh. Shirt. This guy knows. He's walking around with blood all yep. the time. So, keys in hand, Coldo mm. went to Augustine's home. My gosh. Yep. And stole an additional 60,000 pesetas, like 360 euros. What the fuck? That he found in a, hidden in like a cardboard box. So he left the premises. He spent that much time there. He got there at like 9.45 mm-hmm. and left at 11.45. So he was there for two hours searching mm-hmm. that place for money and whatever. Wow. And the body was discovered at 12. So he left like right before wow. somebody came and discovered the body. Yeah. And yeah, I... I, I like hang- this guy was just like lucky. Very lucky, yeah. You know? Yeah. Not not because he was smart. No, <laughs> like, no. Just he was by described chance, right? as smart, but he's clearly not a good killer. He was just lucky with his, um, his yeah. victims and the yeah. circumstances, I think. So bars seem to be where he likes to wash up after a bloody murder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in this case, he went to a bar. He got cleaned up there, and he had a coffee. It's his ammo. Oh, not, not a beer this time. Not a beer this time. It was this morning. It's before lunch. <laughs> and then he then caught a bus to his hometown of Escoitia mm-hmm. to change his clothes. So um, he then went back to Madrid, and he um, disposed of the wallet and the screwdriver near the bus station again. Okay? Mm-hmm. And then once he got home, he threw his clothing in the wash. Okay? Yeah, yeah. So, um, Coldo's defense, his lawyer, right, right, had nothing to work with, really. Yeah. He'd confessed. Mm. I mean, he was, like, not going back on it. Mm-hmm. All of the psychiatric evaluations um, that he had could point to no mental disorder or, you know, that would might explain mm-hmm. his actions, right? Like a psychosis, let's say, or something right. like that, right? And many um, would point out that he was just like a narcissist with a really high IQ. Mm-hmm. He himself did not provide any plausible reason for having done what he did. Um, so he was then convicted for those murders. And so um, basically the prosecution decided... The murders were economically motivated. Right, right. Like he was just desperate for money or something. I mean, it's not true, is it? <clears throat> yeah. It's, so it, I mean, well, kind of. It's what they ticked the box for, but the guy wasn't looking for like with the lawyer. There was no money there. Yeah, I know, right? Like, why yeah. would you find money is that in a lawyer's economic office? Economic motivation, and he took what thirty euros or something, twenty right. euros, ridiculous. Right. Yeah. So that's I mean, the that's the weird thing, right? Uh, like I feel like the first one or the Augustine one, maybe. Yeah, you could right? say 
Or yeah. maybe just trying to get out of a debt that, that one's you had ambiguous. with somebody. Like maybe yeah. he had borrowed a lot of money from this guy. That one's ambiguous. And then he did go to the apartment and look for money, which, you know, and he did spend two hours there looking, as you say. So, yeah. yeah but then it, with the lawyer, it was more... That's nothing to... And he, yeah, that's he, different. He, he clearly was planning that. He put a knife in his freaking... Pocket. Case. A nan pocket. And went to the... Yeah. But he brought it from Madrid. Right. Right. That's... And... Plus the gloves, come on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Stuff that you generally take on a three-day right. trip. <laughs> right. You've got exactly. some... I, I mean, I... It, I yeah. It, you're right. It sounds like... No, he's totally premeditated he was, that. He was into it or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was sentenced to 20 years for Augustine's murder and mm-hmm. 30 for Begonia's. Okay. That's... I don't understand the difference. Yeah. And I didn't look. So sorry, everybody. Sorry, well. listeners, I didn't look. But... Those were the terms. So he got 50 years in prison, okay? Yeah, on paper. Mm -hmm. So you might be wondering, what about the murders of Esther and Acafio, right? Yeah. Our first two victims. Well... Because they have similarities. It wasn't for lack of trying. Many experts and investigators believe that Coldo is our man for these crimes. It just couldn't be proven Mm -hmm. in court for lack of evidence, right? Right. I agree with them. One hypothesis postulates that the chronology and the way in which the four crimes were carried out are almost a carbon copy of his own life, right? Yeah. Inconstant and careless. Yeah. So he worked thoroughly with his first victim and carefully cleaning up the crime scene. Mm. And then he progressively degenerated, Mm. like neglecting details until he murdered the lawyer. Yeah. To whom he, like, left his name and everything. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. He's also going to... And said that he'd come back later, right? Yeah. And, he, and he's also going in this po- more and more power trip, right? Yeah. He's getting... He gets away with it more and more. And so he's somehow he's, he's kind of assuming he's going to get away with it. Yeah. He might think he is that intelligent, right? Yeah. Okay. So one detail that links Coldo to all of these four murders is that he knew all of them. Mm-hmm. Esther Aretio had been his neighbor across the street for three years. And they both went to the same neighborhood bar, the Android. (laughs) It's a good name. I know, right? I like that name, too. Especially for 1999, right? I know, right? Android. Android. In addition, there was no forced entry into her house. And so police speculated that Mm. she'd opened her door to her killer or knew him, right? And let him inside. How about this survey thing? That doesn't make sense. So... I'll get bring that up. Uh, the other piece of evidence from her crime was the partially completed survey. Oh, yeah. Now they have a suspect. They could look at his writing. They found that among all the other items, right, in the sports bag, mm-hmm. when the police analyzed the handwriting, it did not match Caldo. Oh, really? But uh-huh. it matched that of a sketchy business associate of his, identified in articles only as Enrique P. Okay. Mm. It was Enrique that many of Caldo's friends and acquaintances say led him into the, like the shadier and shadier business mm. dealings that he got into. Okay. Okay. Many described him as a thug and a crook, this Enrique. Right. Okay. His handwriting was only a 60% match to, to that on mm-hmm. the survey. Mm-hmm. So it could not be used as definitive evidence. Mm. Because um, I guess you need at least an 80 to 90% match. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to agree with those parameters, whatever they're anyway. But I think all that's fair. But to go like sure. 60 percent, yeah, you're, you know, I can't. That's no, not, it, that's it, one. And then if you can find others, right? It's just that every time I sign my name, it's pretty different. <laughs> <laughs> okay. it's like, thankfully, banks don't look very closely at my. But signatures. they don't. When they do handwriting analysis, they don't do your signature. They do sure. I know. Like hmm. all kinds of stuff. But it's like, I'm, I'm, you know, it's like I, I feel my, you know, sometimes I got better writing. Sometimes I got worse yeah, writing. Yeah, me too. How are me, you too gonna, me too. You know, me too. Me too. I'm sure I don't match 100% my own writing all, every exactly, time I write. Exactly. Me too. So, you yeah. know, that's why I'm saying. Mm, but they're pretty similar. Overall. Overall. If you thing. know that that's the one thing linking you to this one yeah, thing, right? That's the thing. So you try to match it, but it may not come out the same every time, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, neither of these men's prints were found on the survey. Okay. Okay. Um, but, you know, lack of evidence doesn't mean yeah, no, lack of involvement, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So, um, it's been speculated that both men went to her apartment and that she was familiar with Coldo, so she let them in. Right. Or at least let her guard down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the cleanup and dismemberment was so extensive that it makes more sense that one of the two right. went to take the ATM yep. money. You yep. know, they went to the ATM twice. Yeah. Okay. While the other one stayed there to continue with the gruesome job of, you know, dismembering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. However, if you recall, the police did find some hair at the scene. Yeah. Which didn't belong to Caldo. Uh-huh. Um... And there was never any mention if it ever belonged to Enrique. Mm. So I don't know if they had enough to try to test him. Especially those years, I think. Right. A little bit of hair is, doesn't sound like enough to do a DNA test in those right. years. Right, mm. exactly. Today, I think it would like, be enough. Maybe, but, mm. yeah. Because di- I think in those days, because I've watched Forensic Files for many years, mm-hmm. and you have to, you in the past, you had to have a root Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because it's got cells in it, yeah, For, yeah. all around it. Right? And I and I don't know if it's advanced to this point now where it doesn't need a root. It probably has. I think so. I think so too. Yeah. So it didn't belong to Coldo, at least. Right. And um, many speculate maybe it was planted. They think maybe it was planted like a red herring. I mean, you your hair is my apartment, Julie, and you, you exactly know, you come like here. It and it's like, exactly, and it could have been. Like, but I would imagine that they tested his, her family members or anybody sure. else that might have been in her apartment, right? Right. Against this hair, right? So, but you know, um, like you're not family. So they think maybe it was planted by them. <laughs> right. Okay. Right to that's, like is like a red herring. Sure, to that's like a throw lot. Off, I right? mean, he was very careful in the beginning, right? So they might have been that crazy. That mm-hmm. crazy mm-hmm. careful, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. it was quite careful. Yeah, it's right? believable. So as of now, Esther's crime is considered to be unsolved. Right. And, get this, Douglas, mm-hmm. the statute of limitations for her murder has expired. No fucking it's way. It's 20 years. That's ridiculous. 20 years. I mean, I understand that you have that, but that's not enough for a murder like that. I just think that's so crazy. And I had to write, that's where Gisela came into, uh-huh. into cause right. I, I had to write her and be like, is there a statute of limitations right. on murder? And she goes, yeah, wow, there is. If there's nothing in 20 years, you're out. So as for Acasio, um, Fidelia's murder, his link to Coldo was similar to that of Esther's mm. in that they would both frequent the same bar or mm-hmm. restaurant mm-hmm. in Vitoria. 
it was called the Ochan Ochandiano. They both went there and they had been seen playing moose, mm-hmm. but not together. <laughs> right. So they're like, if you're a guy that goes and plays moose at a certain bar, moose is like a card game here. It's a very, very typical and it's, old timer game and a very like, best game. Yeah. Mm. So apparently, they both had been seen playing this game at mm-hmm. the same bar, but not necessarily together right okay okay but if you're a guy that goes to this bar and plays moose Hmm. isn't it likely you might know each other right exactly the establishment was near the bus station Hmm. so where he was coming in and out of madrid right he likes the bus station and it was also next to the gun shop where police proved that coldo had purchased hunting knives in the past which were very similar to the one that was found on the toilet cistern at esther's house right yeah and um, at one time, Coldo had opened a business right in front of Ocasio's house. Mm. So he claimed not to have known him and... Right. He's it. just trying to get the away case with... Was, the yeah. case is cold, expired. It's expired. It's expired, yeah. Wow. That so is horrible. Those two crimes will never be solved yeah. or pinned on this guy, right? Well, they could be solved, but he wouldn't be responsible for them somehow? You, no, I think that they've exhausted everything they can... To try to solve it. And now I'll tell you the rest of the story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, let's talk about Coldo in prison. So, remember he got sentenced to 50 years, 50 years, years right? in total, 30 for... During his time in prison, Coldo worked in the prison commissary. Mm-hmm. And taught Uskera <laughs> <laughs> to fellow inmates. Wow. Public service. <laughs> in the end, Coldo only spent 18 years of his 50-year sentence. Mm-hmm. He was released early following a heart attack in in 2017. He was processed to be released under an Article 104, which allows for the release of inmates with incurable diseases. So, quote, for humanitarian reasons and personal dignity, taking into account the difficulty for them to commit crime and their low potential to be a danger to society. So... He was released in 2017 for an incurable heart condition and returned to his hometown of Escotia, Escotia, to live with his mother, right. back with mother, and who was actually the only person that ever went to visit him in prison. Right. He led a seemingly normal life while waiting for a heart transplant. Mm. He never did receive a new heart. Good. He died on January 27th, 2021. Was there anything else I was going to say about... Caldo. Caldo. I'm glad he taught Basque. <laughs> I know. I thought you would like that. <laughs> I thought you would really love you that. You know me well, Julie. he was in you know prison well. teaching inmates Basque. Yeah. And you were like, well, he's not that bad of a guy. I mean, I didn't say that. <laughs> I said, you know, at least he served some purpose. Yeah. That was useful. Yeah. And he worked at the mm. commissary. I mean, I'm not impressed by that. <laughs> he probably just wanted to reduce his time there. No, the commissary is like where you sell the shit. Yeah, he's probably he just yeah, he's just double charging. He's yeah, getting schemes. He's like I'm a businessman, sure. <laughs> doing his. He's like, I'm good at this. Wait, I can I can wheel and deal. As if the commissary. Very sad. Yeah. I actually, the first crime 
he would have been maybe implicating a second person if he yeah. came clean. So that's another reason for him not to come clean on true, that. True, true. So that Enrique guy. Was plus involved. the Enrique guy, he's probably like dangerous and yeah, you know, could want could to go kill his son. Something, anything, yeah, anything. Is, yeah. So, you know, true. I understand why he didn't. Yeah, because they did describe that guy as a thug. Yeah, that doesn't sound like the best. Huh. crime partner <laughs> that's a very good point douglas mm. well that was fascinating i'm i'm glad that there yeah, was, it was limited a very um, violence. convoluted limited violence i mean you know it was bursts <laughs> of violence and then yeah we could get into like it was proper crime scene investigation episode i thought right <laughs> yeah. hairs and dna and knives well, of course and... you gotta throw all that in right but it was all what the do they classics. got what do they got all the classics well i hope our listeners enjoyed it all right thank you for listening yeah um and uh, we'll see you next time see you next time good night douglas and a gore a gore <laughs> <laughs> Crimes of the Basque Lands is written and produced by Douglas D. Carvalho, Julie Garcia, and Megan Dooley. The sound and editing for each episode by Douglas D. Carvalho, and Megan Dooley. Theme song written by Douglas D. Carvalho, Julie Garcia, and Megan Dooley. Sung by the choir with no name and produced by Tom Squires. Podcast art by Distinct Signal. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Crimes of the Basque Lands and contact us at crimesofthebasquelands at gmail.com with story ideas worldwide which have a connection to the Basque Country, or any rave reviews. If you like our podcast, please subscribe, like, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, Agur! agur.